Meet Reed Lance Rosenthal, rancher, number one best-selling award-winning author, and unabashedly, unapologetically on the right side of the outstanding issues of our generation. But don't try to fence him in. Sometimes his positions will surprise you because Reed is definitely his own man with his own opinions. You might love him, you might hate him, but you won't be able to stop listening. Step over to the right side with Reed. Howdy, listeners from coast to coast, the Gulf to Canada and around the globe. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Well, did you have a good Valentine's Day week? I think I wished you that last week. But in retrospect, how about President's Day? Hopefully you had a great week with a three-day weekend in that go-around. Today, we are going to be discussing and continuing our series on what they're doing to eventually get control of your private property. The week before last, I kind of went over the big picture of private property rights, the bundle of rights that goes with real estate, and how they plan to attack it and all the various ways they plan to eventually divest you of that private property primarily real estate, but you could really apply it to everything. Last week, I went over what's happening at the big federal land agencies, the BLM, the Forest Service, and etc., all their brethren and sisters up there in the murky, dark, bottomless agencies of Washington. And why did I do this? Because in the end, those federal lands, to a large extent, not completely, but to a large extent, control those things that you need to own your private property, those things that you need to safely inhabit your private property and to enjoy and, shall we say, uh, be comfortable in your private property. Land, air, water, fuel, timber, minerals. I can go all the way down the list. And what they're trying to do in terms of the inverted pyramid that I described last week, if you didn't listen to the show on the rightsideradio.com, I think you'll find it fascinating. And you will have a good understanding of just how much land the federal government, which I will repeat, is us, folks. This is part of our private property holdings, owns, quote unquote, and controls, and not to our betterment, but to our detriment over the last 10 particular years and over the last 20 or 30. It's been a long time coming, but they're starting to close the vice. And this big broad base of the inverted pyramid of your property rights begins with those federal lands and to a lesser extent state lands. I don't think you have to worry about it much in the red states, but state lands will be every bit as much of a concern in the blue states as the federal lands are to us all. So moving down the pyramid today, just as they are, The compression theory I voiced last week, right? They'll get control of each segment of this pyramid, each of the bundle of rights contained in the private property rights in that inverted pyramid, and then they'll move down to the narrower neck of the pyramid as it descends down to the point, which is your front door. So today we are going to talk about what specifically they are doing, and I'm going to give you some examples, as I did at the end of last week's segment, of the specific steps that they are taking and that they can take and that they will take. Remember, it's the government. Anything is possible and they will do everything that is possible relative to your rural property, your acreage, your ranch, your farm, and yes, your home, whether it's a condominium or a townhome or a house in suburbia, it's all on the radar, folks. They have to make it unbearable to own economically in terms of the services that are provided, in terms of the fuel you need to heat and light it, and in terms of their regulatory overkill on what you can do with it and what you are liable for on that property, you know, so that they can tax you and send you fees and send you fines and 
Otherwise, shall we say, interfere and undermine in that slow boil of the frog your private property rights. Think all electric mandates. And then we're going to talk a little bit about international and a little bit about what's already emerging as election fraud in this upcoming election. I'm going to go into that in great detail next week. I've been putting it together for several months. It's, uh, why don't we just say it's eye-opening. Not surprising, but eye-opening. Because they're going to pull out the stops. They know they're guilty as hell of corruption, of treason, of bribery, of consorting with the enemy, you name it. And you know, they have nothing to lose by continuing to propound (laughs) the crimes they have committed over the past years to kind of save their own skins. Because the wrong guy gets in there, you know, and the wrong agency heads are appointed, and you have a American-thinking, constitutional-following, law-abiding attorney general, unlike Merrick Garland, the gentleman who's now in that position of power, and they could have a really, really, really bad day, as well they should. And then, in the time left, we're going to do some rat-a-tat-tat, and I have a bunch of stuff, hopefully we'll have time, to bring at you. From Ukraine to Bank of America, oh, that's going to be interesting. Estate taxes, oh, that's one of the ways they're going to attack your private property. And of course, when I'm done with our segment on private property rights, I'll bring you the rest of that story. Well, let's begin. How about the founder's quote? I'm going back to the Thomas Paine well today, you know. (laughs) He's terrific. He really is. He is a source of quotes. You almost don't even need the other founders with that guy. So today, Thomas Paine from Common Sense, quote, those who expect to reap the blessing of freedom must undertake to support it, unquote. Now, there's a lot of sage wisdom in that advice, don't you agree? And you know what, folks? It's up to us to undertake to support it. That's why I do this show. And how about a little housekeeping? I have finally gotten a whole bunch of comments back on my question to you on whether or not I should do I'm going to call it a YouTube channel. My uh, smiling, ugly, creviced maw perched below, or should I say below the perched cowboy hat, talking to you where you can see me. And although I've had a few negative comments on that for various reasons, not to mention probably the image in the mirror when I look at it, (laughs) the overwhelming preponderance of responses were, do it, do it, cowboy, do it. So I'm going to do it. And it's going to be on YouTube. I'm going to call it a YouTube channel. But we're also going to be on Substack. We're going to be on Rumble. We're going to be on other platforms because somehow, particularly with the censorship that's coming at us like a freight train, we're going to be talking about that today as part of the election fraud thing we're discussing. Somehow, I don't think I'm going to last long on YouTube. We shall see. I'll tell you this. At various times here over the last few months, I've gotten letters from readers saying, you know, I went to Google and I couldn't find you. Well, you know what? A couple times I've done the same thing. It just, like, doesn't exist. On the right side radio, what's that? Said Google. But if you go to one of the, shall we say, less censored search engines like DuckDuckGo or Brave, well, there we are. Page one right at the top. Amazing how that works. Must just be a coincidence. I'm going to bring you the exact ways that you can subscribe, which will be very easy, to these various channels that we're going to be bringing forth. We're shooting, I can't promise, but we're shooting to have maybe the first episode of many, many 
on April 1. We'll see if we can get everything together that's necessary to do that by that time, but that is the goal. So I'll bring you all that information. We'll also have it posted on the website when it's available and when it's accurate on the rightsideradio.com. And you folks can listen to me on the radio, although there'll be some changes in stations with this. And you can uh, (laughs) throw peanuts at the screen with my smiling maw. And now our rant story for today, now that we have that business taken care of. So about two weeks ago, I get this call from a friend in another state, about eight hours away, in fact, and they had a situation arise, which was a family situation, and they decided that they needed to dispose of some of the equipment that they had. And they kind of sent me pictures of the equipment, and some of it we really can't use, we have it, but some of it we could absolutely use, and everybody kind of agreed a package deal was best, and we made a deal, and although it was not on my schedule, which is rather tight right now with getting books five and six out, and the radio show, and the YouTube, and the ranch, and the whole nine yards, off I went on a, give or take, three-day jaunt to go pick up the equipment, and all sorts of adventures, because part of those travels are on an interstate that often gets closed, and the weather was like, (laughs) why don't we just say the weather was spotty, the weather was spotty. And the four-wheel drive when the truck went out and all sorts of other interesting things, particularly when you're pulling a 24-foot gooseneck and you have a bunch of equipment on it. Anyway, to make a long story short, got it all picked up. Well, not all of it. We're going to have to make a second trip, it looks like now. That wasn't expected either. But they are delighted with the deal that was made, and we are delighted with the deal that was made. And the new equipment is safely in our loafing shed under cover. And it's going to get some TLC here in the next few weeks. And the moral of this story is opportunities, big or small, often arise when least expected. And you know, you are wise when an opportunity kind of comes along that you didn't expect. And it works for you. Let me underline that. You don't do it just because it's an opportunity. But it works for you in all sorts of respects. And it's a fair deal for everybody involved. You're wise to jump on it. As they say, fortune favors the bold. So let's begin this week's installment of (laughs) their design on your private property. Last week, we talked about that big picture, the inverted pyramid, the top of the base, the federal lands. And I gave you some examples, if you remember, at the end of that is the rest of the story, on all the little things that they kind of use that uh, federal land stuff to kind of reach out and get you, right? The National Monuments, which shuts down basically any and all activities, and they're declared more or less out of thin air. Shutting down roads and access around Moab, for instance, which shuts down tourism. Wanting to demolish four hydro dams for salmon, which of course shuts down all those towns up there in the northwest. Chipping ear tags with... With, with chips so that they can track all your cattle. And I suppose at some point in time with AI, track those nasty methane gases which are going to incinerate us all, you know. But today we're going to move down to the next zone, the next narrow or narrowing segment of that inverted pyramid. And that is your land. How are they going to get your land? Since under all lies the land. Eventually we're going to get in this series to what they're doing on your house, right? The building permits and the regulations and what appliances you can have and yada, 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 and so on and so forth. But today, we're going to focus on land. And this is going to apply to you. I don't care if you have a zero lot line lot in a city, 
a third of an acre or fifth of an acre, 10,000 square foot standard city lot, your one acre in a rural or should we say urban subdivision, ex-urban subdivision, your acreage in a rural setting, your three acres, your five acres, your 10 acres, your 20 acres, whatever it happens to be, or whether you have a farm in the middle of nowhere, out in the Great Plains, in the breadbasket of the country, or whether you have a ranch tucked into the mountains. And it doesn't matter the size of the parcel, because they have designs on all of it, folks. And as part of this, after this little beginning summation, I'm going to tell you the history of zoning, just very briefly, because zoning is one of the weapons in their quiver. It's one of the ways that they can Should we say oust you? You know, the government has often said, and in fact, Barack Obama said, that what we can get the people to do on their own to themselves (laughs) is far preferable to us appearing like we're forcing them to do it. And that is the slow boil of the frog. So when it comes to land, just big picture, you have regulation, taxation, zoning, which we're going to talk about. Potential emergency powers, you know, because of climate change or a water drought situation or who knows what, fires, insurance. Oh, yes, they're going to get you through insurance because they're going to make sure your rates skyrocket or you can't get it. And that's already happening. Utilities and, of course, outright takings, you know, for the public good. We need your property and we're going to take it. And then, of course, there's irrigation. And trade from any produce you bring off the land. And by produce, I mean anything of value which you might sell or barter. And I don't care if you have a one-half acre garden or you have a 50,000 acre cattle ranch. It's all the same. And of course, all these things attack your value, which of course attack the economics, which is really a key component of what they have planned for your land so that they can make it their land. And then there's permitting for different things you want to do with land. And transportation. I mean, the access to land is kind of basic. Well, if you happen to own an inholding of how whatever size inside a national forest or federal lands, like we talked about last week, and suddenly, you know, oh, they have to save the wildlife. They have to make sure there's no forest fires. You know, there's all sorts of environmental impacts, and we just have to shut down that road and not renew that lease or whatever you happen to have or not honor that right of way. Well, you know, if you can't reach your land, it kind of makes it impossible to use it and to access it and to sell it. And then they have this insidious thing. And by the way, I'm a big fan of conservation easements, but the conservation easements with the wrong outfit or not negotiated in the right way and without the proper safeguards is pretty much a key to the government to eventually take it. We'll talk about that in this show, too. And finally, there's finance. Oh, yes. Yeah, don't... Don't think they're not going to turn the screws on finance, folks. They're already doing it in kind of covert ways. But the writing's on the wall, and we've seen examples of it. And we're going to go over them briefly in this presentation on this next layer down of the inverted pyramid of property theft planned by the government. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals 
I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Are you a fan of the 1883 miniseries? Then you will love its partial inspiration, Threads West, an American saga. The number one national Amazon and Barnes & Noble best-selling multi-generational epic saga of the American story in the West. Recipient of a whopping 37 national awards, including Best Historical Fiction, Best Multicultural Fiction, Best Fiction Series, Best Romance, and Best Western. You will recognize the characters that live in these pages. They are you. They are us. This is not only their story, it is our story. Threads West is written by Wyoming rancher Reed Lance Rosenthal. Lois Henderson, Chief AD Library Information Services, proclaims fluent and strong, sensual, evocative, and unforgettable. Compared to McMurtry's Pulitzer Prize-winning Lonesome Dove and Michener's Centennial, Rosenthal's epic masterpiece will rival even some of Louis L'Amour's best-loved work. Call the Gone with the Wind of the West and Sackets on Steroids. Get it now. Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Kindle, Nook, Audible, or the publisher, ThreadsWestSeries.com. Before we get into all the various nefarious ways the government at any level, particularly, by the way, in blue states, can gun for your private property, gun to divest you of it because you just don't want it anymore or can't afford it anymore, or just overtly kind of wipe out its value. Let's talk about how zoning, which is a key weapon, which of course is disguised as things always are, as a method employed to control land use for your safety, folks, and to increase your values and to protect your values. But all such things are two-edged swords. Going back to about 1915, 1916, there was basically no zoning anywhere in the United States. People hadn't even thought of it. Most places employed, particularly big cities, what was called nuisance laws. If you didn't like the way your neighbor was throwing out their trash, you could sue them, bring them to court. The court would decide, award money, not award money, tell them to do it, not to do it. But then there was a building built in New York City. Of course this of course this emanated in New York. And it was called the Equitable Building. It was 586 feet, I believe, high. And it was by far the largest building that had been built in this city of mostly two-story maximum, three-story structures. And folks found out that it cast like a seven-block shadow and that it interfered with air circulation and sunlight and therefore adjoining properties' values. And people were up in arms over this. So they went to the government because, you know, that's what people do. Gee, the government will solve our problems. And New York developed a zoning code. In fact, the very first zoning ordinance, and it was comprehensive, adopted in the United States of America was in New York City in 1916. And they knew exactly what they were doing. They were creating the guise of security in the use of what was really a weapon. One of the architects, no pun intended, of this zoning law said zoning laws were seen as a way of assuring buyers that their neighborhood won't change adversely in one sense, but also offered security, unquote. And of course, there were always those, and we have them today, don't we, who were eager to jump on the bandwagon of control, particularly, by the way, progressives of that day and age, and lawyers. And over time, zoning ordinances have been used for both good and evil, and very importantly, to promote, should we say, the favored class, developers, folks close to the city council or to the county 
commissioners, or, you know, should we say friendly favors for those in the know and those willing to mm, do favors in return. And then this got to be so popular because all the other big cities in the United States watched New York and they started adopting these massive, comprehensive zoning ordinances. And that caught the eye of the federal government, of course. And in 1924, then Secretary of Commerce, Herbert Hoover, who was uh, quite the technocrat, by the way, he saw government planning as a clear improvement over a free market urban development. And he promoted what was called the State Zoning Enabling Act or SZEA, that states could copy to empower municipalities and counties to pass more localized zoning laws. Because in the end, although there are macro trends that affect real estate, all real estate is kind of local. The government printing office published and sold 55,000 copies of SZEA to states and other municipalities and county governments that they could use as a model for their own legislation by 1925. And it morphed into states having to require regular comprehensive plans from cities as a precondition to the control and authority of cities over zoning. And if you research further, zoning, yes, in some ways it does protect certain classes of neighborhoods. But on the other hand, it also greatly increases costs. In fact, in a lot of blue states, let's take California, for example, or certain parts of Colorado or Illinois or New York or the Northeast Corridor, zoning has contributed greatly to the unaffordability of houses right now. And by the way, if houses are unaffordable, what does that mean for the owners of houses. Oh, that's right. They're unsaleable. Ah, the economic effect. We'll be getting into that here later on in the segment. And eventually there was a Department of Housing and Urban Development, which became actually a cabinet level position at the federal government. Well, of course, I mean, you know, why wouldn't we expand the government for this stuff? But that in a nutshell, and look, we could spend shows and shows and shows on zoning, particularly zoning in certain areas, which is absolutely outrageous. But that is how zoning got its start. And now zoning is just one of the myriad of weapons at the disposal of uh, so-inclined governments of all ilks, natures, and levels to control and eventually take your private property. I gave you a brief rundown of all the ways governments of any ilk, nature, or level can attack your property. Let's talk about some of them in detail. Taxation. So, number one, you have property tax. Now, obviously, the higher the property tax, the more uneconomical the property. You have reclassification of property, where, for whatever reason, whether to help their well-heeled friends or whether to satisfy a progressive ideological bent or to accomplish a end or to, you know, be equitable to have low income and whatever it happens to be that a city wants to see developed because of its political ideology, you have zoning reclassification, which can catch people unawares. You know, you buy your property, you expect the zoning laws to protect you, and then suddenly the zoning laws are changed. You're grandfathered in, but the neighborhood's going to change, and that's not going to be good for your property, which means you won't be able to sell it or you'll have to sell it for less. It goes into the satisfaction and economic equation. And then you have the death tax. You know, there's certain states, believe it or not, where if you die or there is some kind of interfamily or interfamily transfer, you actually owe a tax on that. And then you have the estate tax. By the way, very importantly, I want to bring to your attention something which a lot of people, well, nobody's talking about and a lot of people are overlooking. The Trump tax cuts sunset. They expire in next year, 2025. And that makes it a whole different taxation world than it has been for the last five or six years. 
including, by the way, in estate taxes. Your exempt estates drop from, and I'm giving you round numbers, check with your CPA, I'm not your financial advisor, drop from about $11 million to $13 million, depending upon all sorts of factors, to about 3 to $5 million, depending upon all sorts of factors. That makes a really big difference, depending upon your economic foundation, how you want to get properties out to your kids or other heirs if you die, and it really makes a big difference in the case of farms, ranches, and larger rural properties, which we're going to discuss. And then, of course, there are those states that want to tax wealth. I've had stories on this, like in California. In fact, California wants to reach back five years. If you left the state in the last five years, they want to reach back and tax your wealth at the time you left the state. And who knows what eventual wealth taxes will be imposed and how easy it would be to take those taxes, allocate those taxes, and redistribute those taxes for votes in the event of a CBDC. And then, of course, there's operations taxes. If a certain state, municipality, or county doesn't like cattle because their methane farts are going to you know, incinerate the planet, well, we'll just tax livestock. If a certain city, state, or municipality doesn't like people growing their own food and selling food or trading food with neighbors, well, we'll just tax homegrown gardens. You think I'm kidding. This is actually going on. And then, of course, you have regulations. And we're not talking just zoning now. We're talking about regulations on how you can use your property, what you can do on your property, how you can develop or construct on your property, how you can live on your property. I mean, you name it, the regulation exists, and particularly, I will emphasize, in the blue states and blue municipalities. And once again, regulations can limit how many livestock you run. Look, look over in Europe, where, which is in upheaval right now. Once again, I think I'll have some videos since uh, mainstream media isn't covering it on what's going on. I mean, farmers and landowners and property owners in the streets in numerous, and I don't mean a few, I mean tens of thousands, in some cases hundreds of thousands, in the streets protesting what has become a government intrusion in their occupation and their property rights. I mean, some of these countries are mandating the slaughter of livestock and the numbers of livestock you can run and how many acres you can have cultivated and what you can do with the food that's grown on it. There's regulations over energy, how much energy you use. Oh, and in properties lucky enough to have energy underneath them, you know, royalty properties, how much energy you can extract from them and how. And water, of course. How much water do you get and what can you use it for? And construction. What can you build there? How does it have to be built? When does it have to be built? How long does it take to get approvals, which we're going to talk about under permitting? to build something. How about any land improvements? Also regulated. I mean, you can go all the way from a septic system, another permitted use, to building a road or building a pond or doing whatever you wish with your property. In other words, just about every improvement is, in some way, shape, or form, except in a few locations in the United States, now regulated. And how you use it is regulated. Think about the stories I've brought you about rent control, particularly in blue states. I've brought you the stories of California. Can't raise rents for four years. New York is talking about rent control measures while they pay for deluxe accommodations for illegal aliens, which, by the way, reminds me, terrific video on the site on that subject. It will not make you happy. On the benefits illegal aliens are getting for free on your tax dollar, both federal and, if you're listening to me in New York, local and state, while Americans and American vets live homeless on the street, and your rent goes up. On the rightsideradio.com, and it'll be under the audio bar. It's that important a video. And then, of course, all this leads to the economic 
screws the government can turn. We talked about rent controls. We talked about limitations on eviction. We we talked about in a previous show this incredible law that is proposed in California, and I think it might pass, that actually allows tenants to have the first right of refusal on the on the use of a property. If they want to renew their lease, the landlord is bound to renew their lease. We're not talking about any rent increases. It has to renew the lease as originally written. It can even interfere with the sale of a property. And the same is true on land leases. Believe it or not, for those of you who don't know, there's many different types of leases of land. You can lease it for development. You can lease it for construction. You can lease it for the production of minerals or the production of crops or the pasturage of livestock. Those things also in blue states are beginning to be regulated. I've brought you the story of where many municipalities are trying to basically squash BNBs, people's use of a property for short-term vacation rentals, which of course has an impact on tourism and the entire area because you can't house the tourists or you don't have the accommodations that tourists prefer and therefore they don't come to your location which of course not only undermines the economic value of the property in which bnbs can no longer be operated but of the entire area in which the bnbs are located and then of course you have the permitting process and the payment of what's called impact fees there are now impact fees being imposed in many areas and particularly again in blue states and blue municipalities for basically everything. You know, if you want to build a house, you have to get a permit to build the house and you have to pay a storm water impact fee and a utility connection impact fee and a water tap impact fee. And I could go on down the list. I mean, your imagination is the only limit to the fees that they nail you with at the time that you pull a building permit, which by the way, can take you up to a year to get through a planning or building department. And then of course, the structure that is approved has to be inspected at every step along the road, which is another economic building or inspection impact fee. And the codes, the regulations which govern construction, and by the way, building codes are good things, but we can get a little overboard. For instance, you know, the fact that in New York, let's take an instance, you can't build anything that's powered by gas anymore. No gas heat, no gas stoves. Everything has to be electric. Well, not only does it add cost to the construction, but it adds huge cost to the eventual owners of the construction, or if they're renting it, to the tenants who will be living in that construction. In more rural areas, you have permits for septic. In many places, permits to drill a well. Permits for almost all development improvements you want to do on the land. In some cases, even building a driveway. You even have permits in many areas now to put up wind power for your home or other buildings. Or solar power. And then, of course, you have the granddaddy of them all, which is emergency powers. You know, if there's an emergency like COVID, oh, yes, the scamdemic, that was a big national emergency, folks. It was enough to put in all sorts of regulations on property usage. You know, like you can't open, you may own the building and you may own the business, but you can't go there and you can't open it and the public can't come see you. That's kind of uh, the stealing of a property right, don't you think? Or you can't increase rents or you can't evict tenants who aren't paying and I can go on and on and on. Emergency powers are something that, unfortunately, in the interest of safety, most people have allowed governments, once again at every level, to kind of undertake, believing, to begin with, that the undertaking emergency powers by government was in your best interest. Well, as we saw during the COVID nonsense, that is not the case. In fact, it is quite the opposite. And under emergency powers, they can tell you how to use or not use or not be able to use your private property. And the scary thing is, is that an emergency is in the eye of a beholder. In other words, 
I think we all agree if there was a, a nuclear disaster, that's probably an emergency, at least for the surrounding area. But, you know, the flu is not a national, local, or county emergency. However, unfortunately, most regulations do not limit governments on the declaration of an emergency. There's no, like, checks and balances. And under emergency powers, folks, people, the government, the people in the government can literally determine to take your property and use your property or force you to use your property or not use your property in the quote-unquote public interest, the public health, safety, and welfare. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal, and obviously I've done a pile of research on this little series of personal financial preparedness I'm bringing you. And in doing so, I looked at a bunch of precious metal dealers. There's a bunch of them out there. Some are very good, but I think one of the very best, BBB, A-plus rated, five-star rated, is Harvard Gold Group. They have a terrific private direct delivery program, your house, your business, your investment accounts. They can help you set up your investment accounts to hold these metals. I negotiated, by the way, a $250 discount on your first order through them, which I think is kind of cool. And they have a lowest price guarantee, whether it's gold or silver, and they will be happy to talk to you about that and how it works. So call them, 844-977-GOLD, or go to their website, harvardgoldgroup.com, and use the code READ, READ, that's me, to get your $250 discount and some other goodies. Hey listeners, this is Reed Lance Rosenthal, your host of On the Right Side Radio, and I have a message for you. Do you want a business? Sell a product? Provide a service? Have a message you want to get out? Do you believe in freedom, the Constitution, and America? Here's your opportunity to reach 69 million sets of ears in scores of markets around the country, including five of the top 10 and 15 of the top 50 markets in the United States of America. Very affordable, very flexible, 30 and 60 second packages available. Give your business a boost and help America get the truth. Call Francis at Media Airtime at 602-300-8250, 602-300-8250, or write Francis at MediaAirtime.com. That's F-R-A-N-C-I-S at MediaAirtime.com. Thank you. And what is permitting? What is the derivative of the word permit? It is permission. In other words, the government has now made it or put itself in the position where you believe that you need permission to do these things. And what is the fun thing, or maybe not so fun thing, about permission? Permission can be given and permission can be taken away. And then, of course, you have utilities. Now, we talked about this a little bit last week because in the end, the air, the water, all sorts of things flow from in one way, shape, or form, federal lands, which I will emphasize again, you are the owner of. But that matters not to those who know better than you who manage, quote-unquote, the land. And it makes the use of real estate, the enjoyment of real estate, the value of real estate, the construction on real estate, the growing of crops or livestock on real estate, or just about any activity on real estate of any type, impossible if you don't have water and you don't have power and you don't have fuel and you don't have, in the today's day and age, internet and phone. And in the case of production properties, 
agricultural properties if you don't have irrigation rights or water or enough irrigation rights or water. Think about how they shut down 100,000 acres of some of the best farmland in the United States because of the snail darter out there in California. This was a big hubbub. I brought you the story six, seven, eight, maybe it was nine years ago. They literally idled 100,000 acres because they didn't want water diverted because of the snail darter, because that was in the public interest. Food, by the way, is not in the public interest, obviously, but the snail darter is. I don't know what they taste like, but hopefully they're very nutritious. Which brings us to takings, just flat out taking things from you, you know, and they can do that for forfeiture. In other words, they can trump up something and then take your property in forfeiture. Look at what they're doing to Donald Trump in that BS nonsense in New York. And if you happen to be right, if you weren't wrong, if you weren't illegal or whatever guys they used, it can take you years to get it back. And in the meantime, it's probably depreciated because the government's not great at managing property. And then there's eminent domain where they simply take your land for the installation of a public, quote-unquote, improvement of some type, which benefits the general public health, safety, and welfare, the collective. You know, like 400-foot power towers spaced every 1,300 feet across your land with an access road going to each one of them to transmit power from one of the green deals, solar or wind, that a buddy of somebody in power constructed using your tax dollars as federal subsidies. I can give you many horror stories. Let me tell you, you put a power line across a property, and it can be the most pristine, beautiful property in the world, and it will dramatically decrease its value. And, of course, the enjoyment of the property by the owners, and the ability of the owners to sell it. In other words, direct economic impact. And they can do the same thing, folks, not just for power lines, but for certain types of, if they declare an emergency, energy generation or roads. Think about highways going through a ranch. And do not underestimate the power of a government at any level to declare an emergency and tell you what you are going to do or what they are going to do with your property and you have little or no redress. And this, by the way, also applies to personal property type things, you know, your personal items, effects, investments, or whatever. And then, of course, there's restrictions on properties, particularly, you know, with this climate change thing. Oh, my God, because of fires. Oh, this is a fire-prone zone. You can no longer build there. And if your house burned down, you can't rebuild there. Gee, what are you going to do with that acreage? Oh, you know, that national forest next to you who mismanaged the timber, which is why you had the fire, we'd be happy to buy it from you and just add it to our national forest collection. And here's your shekels on the dollar, and thank you so much. And jumping ahead to when I'm going to talk about finance here in just a bit, this also impacts insurance, right? Insurance rates skyrocket, making properties unaffordable. In other words, attacking the economic foundation of properties. In some cases, making insurance impossible to obtain. I know of many stories of ranches where, because of fire, fire proximity, changing fire ratings, which by the way are usually controlled by the government, not by the insurance company, premiums have doubled or tripled, or policies have been canceled with basically no notice. It makes it difficult to own a property. It makes it impossible to remove the risk, certain risks, from owning the property. And it obviously makes it much more difficult to sell. It makes it virtually impossible to finance. Now think about what happens if they combine a social credit score with all this stuff. Oh my. So you won't get your utilities. You won't get your permits. You won't get your approvals. 
you won't be able to run X amount of livestock or grow X amount of crops or sell it to Joe or sell it to Sally if you don't have the right social credit score because, you know, as they said in Cool Hand Luke, your mind ain't right. And then, of course, we have transportation. Now, think about this, particularly in the context, and some of the things I'm bringing to you, think about your own personal situation or the situation of your friends, because this applies not only to inner city buildings or to suburban buildings, but it also applies, and in some cases, particularly applies to rural ranch and farm properties of virtually any size, but outside, shall we say, a city's domain. How about transportation, particularly if you live in an outlying area or if you live in the middle of nowhere? What happens if you happen to have an in-holding in a national forest or BLM? Or, hell, you just adjoin them on two sides or three sides. Well, you know, they'd like to kind of infill their boundaries, wouldn't they? They don't like you jutting into them. Oh, suddenly you don't have a road anymore. Suddenly that 10-year renewable lease for egress and ingress, which, let's face it, is kind of a basic property right and key to property values. If you can't reach it, it's not worth much. Is gone. They won't renew it. And then, of course, there's mandates, particularly in blue states, over vehicles. Well, now, you know, if you live an hour, hour and a half outside of a town or an hour and a half from a supermarket, which, by the way, many people do, particularly as people are scattering to the four winds after the scandemic, an EV is probably not going to do the trick for you unless you want to include in your three-hour round-trip commute for groceries three hours sitting at a charging station juicing up your EV vehicle, which you overpaid for. And what happens if they ban fossil fuels in agricultural or ranch or rural properties. Oh, you can't store agricultural fuels. In other words, you can't store diesel and you can't store gas. Or your social credit score doesn't allow you to buy more than a certain number of gallons per month. Boy, you're kind of stuck, aren't you? You're also kind of limited in who you can sell the property to. Hmm, I wonder who's going to be willing to buy your property. Gee, it wouldn't be those elites trying to assemble properties, would it? Or perhaps one of the oligarchs in league with the government? Or one of the big food companies? No, it wouldn't be them. And finally, there's finance. Now think about all the people. Think about Nigel Farrar over there in England. Think about gun makers and coin shop dealers and, you know, people, shall we say, in disfavor or who have ideas who are in disfavor, suddenly getting debanked. You know, they get like 24-hour notice. Move your account. Close your account. We're no longer bank you. Doesn't matter if you've banked with them for 40 years. And the big CFI banks are the worst. Avoid them at all costs. I say this all the time. In the rat a tat tat I'm going to have a little story on Bank of America, which I think will catch your attention. But think about all the things they can do with finance. Now, if you're fortunate enough to have a whole bunch of cash and you're paying cash for your property, it doesn't make that much difference on the buy side. But on the sell side, it might greatly limit your market and therefore, once again, affect the economic foundations of your property because there may be restrictions on somebody who would like to buy your property. They may not be able to get favorable financing. And obviously, there's many ways they can do this. Interest rate. Oh, well, we know about that over the last few months, don't we? And credit. You know, what are the credit parameters a bank is willing to undertake? Is it the same for you as it is for somebody who came across the border two years ago? Mm, maybe not. And what about that potential social credit score? You know, if you don't have a high enough social credit score, if you aren't a good citizen, maybe you just don't get financing at all and you can't buy any property. Think about Operation Choke Point which was a brainchild of who? Oh, that's right, Barack Obama and his wingman, his wingman, Eric, his attorney general. You know, 
They employed that on all sorts of businesses they didn't like, particularly gun manufacturers. Well, think about Operation Choke Point on property buyers. What will that do to your property? And if you can't sell it, particularly if you own a rural property, a ranch or a farm, the stuff that they really want, at least to start with, as they narrow down, as they compress down that inverted pyramid toward, you know, the poor guy who owns the house in suburbia. Who are you going to sell it to? Oh, well, gee, it's that same set of buyers again, isn't it? The Black Rocks, the oligarchs, the big uh, Montfort companies in bed with the government, or government folks themselves, or their cronies. And it's easy for them to force banks to do this. They just say, hey, you know, if you don't do this, we're going to write up that loan next time the examiners are in, and your bank ratings are going to drop. And it's going to be more difficult for you to do this, that, and the other, including borrowing at the Fed. We're going to tell you that those assets are not as valuable, don't have enough value in your portfolio, Mr. Banker, and therefore you need more capital in the bank. I mean, it's pretty easy to put pressure on a bank in this regard. So what is the rest of the story here? The rest of the story, if you boil down everything that I have just talked about, and by the way, it's the tip of the iceberg, but it gives you an idea. It gives you things to think about. For instance, that estate tax I was talking about, let's say you are a farmer or a rancher or you own a large rural property of some type and you unfortunately die. And the estate tax credit, the limit at which you have to pay estate tax, which by the way, folks, is 45 to 55%. I mean, we're talking big dollars. But let's say you own a couple million dollars. Let's keep it small. A couple million dollar rural property farmer ranch and you die and your estate is more than the five million at the adjusted, after 2025, estate tax rates. And let's say one of your kids wants to keep the ranch or the farm or the rural property. Well, they're not going to be able to do that, are they? If you have a property that's worth a couple million bucks and your estate is over the exemption, you know, your estate including that property is over the exemption amount, well, you're going to owe 50% of that value, I'm rounding numbers, to the federal government in terms of estate taxes, which does what? Well, it forces you to sell it. I wonder who's going to buy it think about that. So the rest of the story is that there are a zillion ways that they can affect the economics of your property. They can affect your income or your ability to make a livelihood off the property, and they can affect its value. And they can affect the expense to you while you own it, or when you purchase it, or how you develop it, or how you improve it, or how you operate it. And all these things go to the second piece of the pie, which is your enjoyment of your private property, of your real estate. It's pretty tough to enjoy a property, I don't care how beautiful it is, in what a great location it is, if you're going broke owning it, and you're not sure you can get the value out of it when it comes time to sell. Or if your heirs are going to be forced to sell because of taxation rates, in which case you're going to dump it, aren't you? And who's going to be the buyer? Hmm, think about that as we project out over the coming years and we listen to what all these people have clearly told us. Remember our buddy Klaus Schwab, you will own nothing and you will be happy. And now let's do some rat-a-tat-tat. And I'm going to make this quick. You know that election corruption? You have no idea how deep it goes. I don't have time this show. I will next show. Listen to that interview by Tucker Carlson under the audio bar, under election fraud, and rat-a-tat-tat on the website, on the rightsideradio.com. It will flabbergast you. 22 million acres out of farmland and ranch land over the last year or two in the United States. That's the equivalent of New England without Connecticut. 
Wow. The Bank of America, it seems that they're telling the FBI and the federal government, if you shop at a sporting goods store, they can't say that you bought guns, you know, after the court ruling. So they're just saying where you go that might have guns so they can track you. John James, a Republican, whom I like from Michigan, and a Democratic cohort in the House have introduced a bill to expedite the path to citizenship for any illegal aliens serving in our armed forces. Oh, that should work out just terrific. So in the end, 18 rhinos in the Senate voted for this Ukraine package to fund Zelensky's salary and his mansions elsewhere and the pensions of Ukrainians along with their governmental workings. Ah, no money problem here, folks. Another economic tidbit the government hasn't quite told you about. Retail sales are down, but that's down even before inflation. If you factor that in, they're way down in real and nominal terms. I told you interest rates would be going up. Mortgage rates went back over 7% last week. 10% of the contracts outstanding that they monitor fell through, you know, purchase contracts. And there was an 11% drop in refinancing requests in one week. And finally, despite the fact of what Uncle Joe, Barack Obama, third term, and the government tell us about how wonderful the economy is, both Home Depot and Walmart said sales are going down and they expect them to fall further. We're out of time. This is Reed Lance Rosenthal on the Right Side Radio. Remember, look in the mirror, repeat after me, and repeat it with conviction. I will muster. I will stand. I will not comply. I will never give in. I will never stop fighting. I will join with those in these United States and around the globe who love freedom as I do. And we will win. Oh, yes, we will. Keep the wind at your back. I'll talk to you next week. Please remember, if you've missed any shows, go to OnTheRightSideRadio.com. Click on Show Archives, and you'll find all of Reed's shows and a terrific array of informative articles, videos, and reference pages. We look forward to seeing you here again next week for another episode of On the Right Side Radio with Reed Lance Rosenthal.